Hello, welcome back to my Two Cents Podcast, where today I will be giving you my AEW New Japan cross-promotional first ever Forbidden Door uh, event review. Uh, For people that don't know, New Japan and AEW came together for a co-promoted show called Forbidden Door, where New Japan wrestlers will be going against AEW wrestlers, and even in certain matches, some of the New Japan wrestlers will be teaming up with AEW wrestlers for uh, warfare against other wrestlers within each other's uh, company. Um, but without further ado, let's start the show. Uh, first match tonight at Forbidden Door was the trios match. Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki with Ty Conte in their corner going against Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and Shota Umino. Suzuki, Jericho, and Sammy would win the match when Jericho would hit Shota Umino with a Judas effect and cover him for the win. Um, this was a very, very uh, hot crowd. And what I mean by hot crowd, I mean the f- crowd in this event. They were ready to see this show. They were loud. They were excited. They were just loving everything about this matchup. So this match really got elevated a lot because of this crowd um the match was still good it's just that the crowd really was ready so i'm glad this match literally got put in as number one um there was no Minoru suzuki attacking sammy Guevara or chris jericho which was shocking to me because when you think of chris jericho and you think of sammy Guevara, these are two guys that love themselves a lot and Minoru suzuki is a stern like let's get the let's like let's get the job done type of guy. Like he takes no crap from nobody, and I was surprised that um, these three were actually able to work together the way they did. I mean, Jericho and Sammy they've had tag team experience together, but Minoru Suzuki, the way that I just told you, he's a stern like dude. He takes no crap. He doesn't like the whole uh, flashy. I love myself. The whole that type of deal. He doesn't do that. His group Suzuki Goon. Don't do that. They're down just for getting the job done. And that's exactly what Sammy and Jericho did. Yeah, sure, you had them still doing their whole love themselves routine, but they did not get on Minoru Suzuki's nerves. So I was happy to see that. And I was kind of uh I was I was a little bit disappointed. I ain't gonna front. I would have loved to see Sammy Garai at least get hit once by Minoru Suzuki. Because then we would at least saw Jericho having to like fix himself up to do something, but that didn't happen. Uh, Eddie Kingston, Yuta, and Umino, they had a good effort in this, especially Shota Umino. I believe that a lot of people were able to see where what Shota Umino was, a- Shota Umino was able to uh, accomplish here. He's currently right now on excursion. He's one of the New Japan uh, dojo guys that had to go away after his training, and right now, I believe that he's on the right path, especially uh, having uh, the label of being John Moxley's understudy, his uh, protege from Japan. Whenever Moxley would go to Japan before the pre-pandemic, he would go over there, and Umino was like his guy. So with that kind of being labeled with him, him working with Kingston and Wheeler, Yuta, it worked hand-to-hand for me. I saw a lot of people question why was this, like, these were two makeshift groups. 
Sure, Jericho, Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki, that's kind of a little wonky there. But Kingston, Yuta, and Shota Umino, when I heard this match was happening, I heard that team, I immediately said, oh, you mean Moxley, guys. Because Eddie Kingston's cool with Moxley. Yuta is part of the Blackpool Comic Club with Moxley and Danielson. And Shota Umino had business with Moxley in Japan being his like young boy, his underling. So it made sense for those three to be in a group. Um, so again, Umino, he was given a lot. He gave, he even put Chris Jericho in the walls of Jericho or other people would like to call it the Boston Crab. And uh, he locked it in Jericho. Jericho at least fought out of it for a minute, but he almost, uh, he would have tapped out if it wasn't for Sammy Guevara and Minoru Suzuki, like, having to make uh, Umino, like, release the Boston Crab, the walls of Jericho. So, again, Umino was able to, to actually get some good offense off on Jericho. There was one spot in this matchup, too, that people really were anticipating, and I was happy to see, too, was Kingston actually get in the ring with Minoru Suzuki. They had a nice little chop showdown because Kingston was in the ring, and uh, Jericho ends up tagging in Minoru Suzuki, and Suzuki just walks in, and Kingston pulls down his straps, and now everybody's so ready for those two to get in there, because both of them are two heavy-handed type dudes, and Kingston and Minoru Suzuki start trading off chops, and that's at least one clip I know you can find on Twitter, I mean, and also, by the way, it was real limited to find, like, clips of people like posting stuff on Twitter because New Japan has a thing that if you try to post up any of their wrestling stuff, they'll literally like find it, clip you right there at the knees and all that type of stuff. So Sunday night, if you didn't see the pay-per-view, you had to go to Twitter and try to find any type of stuff. And even YouTube, you had to quickly try to find some things to even watch the matchup if you did not see it. But when you saw the clip of Eddie Kingston and Minoru Suzuki just trading off chops. You just had to hear the fans. They were loving it. And that's basically what people wanted to see, Eddie and Minoru. But again, I'm putting a whole lot of uh, stuff on this matchup. I'm just letting you know, the fans love the match. The trios match, the six-man tag match at the beginning was solid. After this, we had the triple threat winner-take-all uh, tag team title matchup of the IWGP and the Ring of Honor tag titles on the line. Rapungi Vice going against FTR, going against United Empire's Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. FTR would win the match by pinfall, so FTR are your new IWGP World Tag Team Champions, and they are still your Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, as well as they are still the AAA World Tag Team Champions. Even though those belts were not on the line, you got to announce that they are now three companies uh, Tag Team Champions. Uh, the big story, oh yeah, FTR will win the match when uh, they hit the big rig on Rocky Romero towards the end of the matchup. The whole story for this matchup was, early on in the matchup, uh, Dax would get taken to the back for his shoulder to look at because him and Cash would do a tag move and they drop Rocky Romero to the ground and then Dax would hit a elbow drop on Rocky Romero and it seemed like he tweaked his elbow or something. And he would slide out of the ring and he would have to like walk to the back and he would have to get his shoulder looked at. And that made people think, okay, Dax is going to be out of this matchup. So now Cash has to go in and buy himself against two other teams. And that's basically the whole story of the match. 
until uh, towards the end of the match, Dax would return to the ring with tape like on his shoulder and like around his shoulder and all that type of stuff. So he would, him and Cash would still team up. So it would be a triple threat match uh, towards the end of the match. Solid triple threat uh, tag title matchup. Again, the fans were loving this thing. Uh, People were loving FTR. FTR got like big ovation. Rapungi Vice would got a good good ovation. Jeff Cobb and Great Khan solid ovation. But when FTR's music hit, the fans just went crazy because FTR are literally labeled right now one of the best, or if not the best, tag team right now on the planet. And people love FTR, okay? And whenever Dax had to go to the back to get his shoulder looked at, everybody was just like, oh, no. What was going on? Because people were thinking that this might be uh, a legitimate injury because if you haven't been paying attention, AEW has been going through a lot of injuries at the moment. They've had uh, people getting injured from your CM Punks to your Jungle Boys to your Red Dragon um, to Brian Danielson. He wasn't medically clear to compete at Forbidden Door into other individuals. Same thing, like wrestlers from both WWE and AEW are just dropping like flies over injuries. So when Dax had to walk to the back, we were all like, oh no, this might be another injury. So once you see Dax come back, you're like, okay, they're going to do what they got to do. But anyway, FTR would win the match. And now FTR are three companies uh, tag champions, which was interesting to me because if you, for people that don't know, um, there was a lot of craziness to get to this Forbidden Door event. Uh, New Japan and AEW had to work together to kind of figure some things out because there were outside forces that were kind of limiting and kind of restricting certain like things from happening in this show. And what I mean by that is that New Japan works with CMLL, which is a top wrestling promotion in Mexico, while AEW, they work with AAA who is CMLL's rival in Mexico. It's like the number two promotion in Mexico. So with FTR being the AAA tag champions, and fans know this, and they know the politics of uh, CMLL and AE, not AEW, but AAA, and they have a beef, I was surprised that FTR would win the match. I thought about it literally as Sunday was going and I was thinking about this match, I said, ooh, this one's going to be interesting, because how's FTR going to win? Because they're the AAA tag champions, and CMLL didn't want no business with people with AAA, like, ties. Because if you think about it, that's the only reason why the Lucha Brothers and Andrade weren't on this Forbidden Door show. Because apparently... Uh, from what Andrade is telling people, he was supposed to be at this Forbidden Door show, and um, that kind of got kiboshed because he works for AAA, and he also does a kind, he has a contract with AEW, but CMLL didn't want that to happen. They didn't want anything to do with Andrade or the Lucha Brothers because they work with AAA. So they kind of had Tony Khan like switch some things around. So when I thought about that, I was like, okay, how's FTR going to win this? So FTR might not win. But once FTR won the match, I thought, okay, that's weird. You guys gave 
FTR the championships, but you guys didn't have Andrade or the Lucha Brothers on this show. So are you guys not trying to have Mexican workers from that do business with AAA in this pro on this card or what? It was real, real weird to me when you really start looking at things and dissecting it. It's real weird, but hey, that's all up to them. But point being, that's the reason why I say it was weird whenever I start really thinking about how FTR won the matchup and all the backstage that went into it. There's a whole lot of things that people probably had to cross and go through for FTR to even win this matchup and give it to the right team. Because let's not get it twisted. FTR is the right team to win this matchup, and I'm glad they did win. It's just that when you think about all the political tape that AEW and New Japan probably had to cross just to get to that point, uh, it's, it's just something that you want to... It's something that you have to like wrap your head around and try to figure out how did they do that and actually say, okay, it's cool for FTR to do it, but not have Lucha Brothers or Andrade on the show. Was it a give and take type deal? Hey, I don't know. I'm just interested in it. I'm hoping that one day it will be explained. But um, now it looks like FTR is going to have to go to Japan from time to time and defend the uh, IWGP tag titles, or you're going to have a whole lot of more uh, New Japan tag team or New Japan people from the roster come over to AEW to face FTR for the championship, or both. Um, after this, we have the All-Atlantic Championship uh, Fatal 4-Way. Pack going against Malachi Black, going against Miro, going against Clark Connors, who would be uh, replacing a injured Tomohiro Ishii, who was supposed to be in this matchup. Uh, Pac would win the match by submission when Pac would hit a 450 splash on Clark Connors and Malachi Black. Uh, he was able to hit him on, hit that on them because Malachi try, was trying to lock an armbar in on Clark Connors at the time, and Clark was constantly trying to move his body around to make sure that Malachi couldn't get a stern lock in on the armbar. And once Pac hit the 450 splash on him, uh, Malachi would release any type of hold he would have on Clark's arm, and then. Pack would lock in the Brutalizer, or better known for certain individuals, uh, known as the Rings of Saturn, on Clark Connors, and Connors would have to tap out. And Pack is your first ever All-Atlantic champion. I'm happy that Pack would win this matchup. It was a great matchup. Miro was decimating in this thing. He beat up a lot of people. He was like the big bully in this matchup. Um, Malachi would have to equalize that towards the end of the matchup when he sprayed... Uh, uh, Mira with Black Mist and hit him with a the his uh, spinning roundhouse kick or spinning heel kick or people might know it as the Black Mass, and that's how Miro got took out of it towards the end of the match. Um, I'm happy that Pac won. Again, to me, Pac is another guy that deserved this win. He's been with AEW literally since day one. The press conference whenever he went against, uh, whenever he stepped up to. Hangman, and it kind of seemed that, that was going to be the rivalry leading into literally AEW until certain things had to come about, and you didn't see Pac at the first AEW show, Double or Nothing. He was at their second show, All Out. But Pac was literally there at ground zero. He was there at the first day of the uh, press release and the whole AEW formation and announcement. So for me, it's been long overdue for Pac. AEW's been around... Literally for three years now, Impact has never won any championship. He should have at least held a TNT title, and he at least should have had a couple opportunities at the uh, World Championship. I believe he's only had like one World Championship opportunity. I believe that was last year, 
double or nothing with him going against uh, Kenny and Orange Cassidy. And Pac, again, didn't win no titles. He was always just like the guy who was there, but then he would be like not being in championship matches, and we were all trying to wonder why would he not be, and etc. So to see Pac finally get his just due from being in AEW for at least three years, and uh, it was it was it was really nice, and the fans loved it too. After this, we had another trios matchup. It was supposed to be an eight-man tag, but I'll break that down in a minute. It was the Bullet Club, the Young Bucks, and El Fantasma with a Hikaleo in their corner going against Darby Allen, Shingo Takage, and Sting. Now, I say it was supposed to be an eight-man tag because it was supposed to be the Young Bucks and El Fantasma and Hikaleo going against Darby Allen, Shingo, and Sting, and also Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, Hiromu Takahashi would have to get yanked out of this matchup because it was reported that he caught the flu and he could not come over to America with the flu. So that's the reason why this had to get changed over to a six-man tag. Um, Sting, Darby, and uh, Shingo Takage would win the match by pinfall when Shingo would hit the last of the dragon on El Fantasma for the win. This match was crazy to start off, okay? Because you had Darby Allen and Shingo come out. And then you didn't see Sting come out with them. And then you saw the Bullet Club come out. You saw the Young Bucks. And you saw El Fantasma with Hikaleo come out on the entrance stage, right? The lights will go out. The lights will pop back on and they'll have the spotlight on the rafters. And then the lights pop off again. Then the lights will pop back on, and now they're trying to figure out what's going on. And you see the Young Bucks looking at the stage. You know, the Young Bucks are on the stage, and they're looking at the ring. And then you start seeing them with the Bullet Club looking around. And then you see Matt look all around, and he sees Sting's on the tunnel. He tells the guys, hey, Sting's on the tunnel. And they turn around. Sting jumps off the entrance tunnel onto Bullet Club. And that's how the match starts. Sting is a 63-year-old man who should not be jumping off an entrance tunnel to start the match off, but Sting is going through whatever anybody wants to call it. My man is deciding, you know what? Hey, this is going to be my last run in wrestling, and this is going to be my last stop. Literally, this is going to be the last promotion I'm working for, and if I can do it, I'm going to do it. That's what this is. Because when you think about Sting in his run in AEW so far, my man is just jumping off of a lot of things. Last year, uh, he jumped off a stack of uh, the casino uh, double or nothing like chips onto Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. He jumped off uh, the audience like a stabilizer, like where people get to like, if they just want to stand and look at the uh, arena and all that type of stuff. He was able to stand on that and jump off that and jump onto Andrade through tables. He jumped off uh, more. He jumped off the crowd section, basically. Just make it personally simple. He jumped off the crowd section onto other wrestlers that were down there. And it's, that's too much for even Sting. He's 63. My man shouldn't be jumping off things. He should just literally just be grounding and pounding if he's going to be in a match. But it seems to me that Sting's just going to go hard to go home. And that's about it for Sting. That, that that's it, that's all Sting is going to do, and Sting was in this matchup, he had a little spot with El Fantasma, where El Fantasma, like, gave Sting nipple twisters, or nipple pinchy, and 
the sting didn't feel the effects and he ends up paying El Fantasma that back later in the match. And also, Sting ate a double super kick from the Young Bucks, but he just ate that and it felt like it did nothing to him and he just uh, stinged up and he double clotheslined the Young Bucks. So, I mean, Sting was wilding in this matchup. You would expect that from Darby, but Sting to do what he was doing in this matchup? Nah. But, again, when you look at what Sting has done so far in AEW, I should have thought, like, okay, it all makes sense, but just to see somebody that old as Sting doing what he's doing, that's crazy. But, um, good solid six-man matchup here. The fans were loving it. The Young Bucks were great. Young Bucks know what they're doing. They know how to execute their style. El Fantasmo, he was able to do his stuff. He was able to showcase himself. He was doing his, uh, uh, he did his walking of the ropes and do the moonsault off of that, and that got people excited. So I think people need to know and watch. If you don't know who El Fantasmo is, do your YouTubes. Watch El Fantasmo. He's actually a good wrestler. I'm just, uh, I'm just a little bit disappointed that Takahashi wasn't a part of this. But hey, we got Shingo in this. I would have loved to see Shingo in the Fatal Four Way matchup, but having Shingo in this, uh. Tag team, triple, not tag team, but there's a six-man matchup. It was good. It was fine. Uh, after this, we had the AEW Women's Championship matchup. Thunder Rosa going against Tony Storm. Thunder Rosa would win the match by pinfall. When Thunder Rosa would hit the final reckoning for the win, and you would see that happen once Thunder Rosa would hit uh, Tony with the Fire Thunder Driver, and Tony would kick out, so that left to, uh, Thunder no other choice but to use her coach's finisher, which is the final reckoning, Dustin Rhodes' uh, move. And a uh, solid match. It was shorter than people expected. I mean, it was enough for me personally because, again, uh, Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm are good wrestlers, but I think that if we're going to be completely transparent right now, uh, Forbidden Door was basically all about the New Japan AEW crossover. That was it. Now, if you would have had... A uh, person, a female from stardom, coming over here to go against Thunder Rosa. Then people would have, then I would have said, okay, you guys could have gave this match a longer uh, time. But for these two being two women that are part of the AEW division, you're gonna see this match more than likely again either on Dynamite or Rampage. This was just a starting block to me for their rivalry going down the line. Uh, that's the reason why I was happy with how much time they got on this show. Because, again, it was about AEW New Japan. No disrespect to the ladies here. But that's basically what the show was about. People would have complained if there had been no women's match on the card. And I think people still are going to be complaining about the time limit that was on here. But when you look at the big grand scheme of things, just want to let you guys know. Just a, just a little example here. And information. New Japan does not do women wrestling. They have a different... They they literally work with a different promotion called Stardom for that. So again, if they would have had a Stardom female wrestler on this show going against Thunder Rose, and then I'd be like, okay, that's still kind of the New Japan deal because New Japan does business with Stardom and you bring a Stardom wrestling over here and then go against Thunder Rosa. Then I can say, okay, you guys have a long matchup or at least have a... 10 to 20 minute match, then I can understand that. But for Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm to have a matchup on this card, 
That was just AEW say, okay, we're going to give you a women's match here. Don't complain. Shut up. Take what I'm giving you. And that's about it. And again, I understand it, why it was on the card. And I just want people to understand that, yo, just be happy it was on the card. Just take what you guys can get on this. Because originally, if you guys really want to be honest, this was not supposed to be a female card on the female matchup on this card at all, if you guys really want to be honest. But people will understand that whenever they actually look into it. But um, again, it was cool. Thunder Rosa wins the matchup. I'm happy because, again, she just got the title a couple months ago. She's been... Her, her title reign has been the greatest. It's almost Hangman Pages uh, type of championship run. And I think that that's a disservice that you're doing for Thunder Rosa. So I'm hoping that they start giving Thunder Rosa some time on the microphone this week. Have her be in the ring and start doing all that type of stuff to build up her championship uh, reign that she's on right now. And that's all I'm asking for. After this, we will have the IWGP United States Championship matchup. Orange Cassidy going against Will Ospreay, who had Ozzy open in his corner. Again, this was for the championship, but Will Ospreay did not have the championship on him. However, Juice Robinson, he would be at the show. Juice Robinson is the guy that has the IWGP United States Championship. He has the belt because he was not going to give New Japan back the belt because originally... uh. <laughs> it was supposed to be Juice Robinson going against Osprey, going against Sonata at Dominion a couple weeks ago, but Juice Robinson had to get his appendix taken out, so New Japan stripped him, but New Juice Robinson never gave them the belt back. So right now it's building up to whoever wins this matchup is going to have to go against Juice Robinson for the physical championship. Orange Cassidy, Will Osprey would have the matchup. Juice Robinson would be in one of the skyboxes looking at the match. And in the skybox, what it would be, El Fantasmo, Hikaleo. Will Ospreay would win the match by pinfall when Will would hit Orange Cassidy with Oz Cutter, but Orange would kick out of it. Ospreay would try to look for the Stormbreaker to hit on Orange Cassidy, but Orange Cassidy would counter out of that, hit a Hurricane Rana, and pin Will Ospreay, but Will Ospreay would kick out of that, and then Will Ospreay would hit Orange Cassidy with a clothesline, then hit him with a fur- hidden blade, and then that's it. This match was a good match between the two. People loved it. People were, uh, people couldn't wait for this. People were chanting, this was awesome off top when these two just start getting in the ring with each other because people were anticipating. Well, people couldn't wait to see what we were going to get. Again, Orange Cast, these characters that he's a laid back wrestler type guy. He's not, he's not, he's always looked at as a guy that's not taking things too serious. But once people forget that, he actually can work in the ring. Like, he can go with some of the best. And that's what this proved here. Will Ospreay is literally one of the best wrestlers in the world. That's not even a, a thing just to hype him up. No, Will Ospreay is literally one of the best in the world. To me, I think if Ricochet wasn't in WWE and he was actually in a place like AEW or if he was back in New Japan, I think him and him and Ricochet would... Ricochet and Will Ospreay literally be like 1A, 1B... In that category, because what Ricochet can do is what Will Ospreay can do. What Will Ospreay can do, Ricochet can do. But since Ricochet is in WWE and he kind of is limited on the style of work that he can move around in WWE, Will Ospreay has jumped over Ricochet in that ability. Because New Japan allows you just to go out, do the wrestling the way that you want to wrestle, and that's it. 
So for me, once I saw this matchup was announced, I said, okay, we're going to get a good matchup. And I think people were surprised to see Orange Cassidy hang with Will Ospreay. I wasn't. Again, Orange Cassidy, he's able to do and work with the best. During the pandemic, he worked with Chris Jericho. Earlier this year, he worked with Adam Cole. And early in AEW's history at, uh, was it Revolution? Yeah, it was Revolution. It was him going against um, Pac. And people were wondering, well, how's Orange Cassidy going to work with Pac? People didn't know Orange Cassidy. I didn't know Orange Cassidy, know, know about Orange Cassidy that much. And then once I saw him work with Pac, and those two had a good match, that sealed it all for me. I was like, okay, Orange Cassidy, he can work. He actually can wrestle, wrestle. So once people saw him literally wrestle legitimately, one of the best in the world in this match with him and Osprey, I think that should silence any critics instead of people just constantly call him a funny wrestler, a guy that you shouldn't be taking serious, even though that's the character that he plays. Anytime you see Orange Cassidy in a matchup, you need to take him serious. And I think that's a matchup that you actually need to see to see what he's going to do with the type of caliber athlete that he's in the ring with. So again, him and Osprey had a great matchup. I suggest you really look forward if you can. If you can't, go and go to New Japan World and you look at the event or go to Fight TV or whatever the case may be. This is not an ad. This is me just telling you because you will not be disappointed seeing the matchup between Will Ospreay and Arch Cassidy. After the match, Will Ospreay would get in the ring with Ozzy Open. Ozzy Open would attack Orange Cassidy, and then you see Rapungi Vice try to come down to the ring and try to make the save, but that doesn't help. They get beat down by Osprey and Ozzy Open, and they would constantly get beat down on until music would play, and it's uh, Shibata's music. Shibata is a guy that's training, well, help training some of the New Japan talent in the New Japan's LA Dojo. And Shibata would come out. The fans would lose their mind. I was shocked to see Shibata there because Shibata has been out of in-ring competition for a long time because of a injury that he suffered in a match with Okada that he literally had to be uh, medically looked at after the matchup. And he kind of was told that he he told everybody that he was kind of had to sit on the sidelines. And it's been years since he's had a match, I believe, the last match that he technically had was against Zack Sabre Jr. last year. Or was it this year? But it wasn't like a match like where they got hits and all that type of stuff. It was like a little technical Mac game style match over there in New Japan with Shibata and Zack Sabre Jr. So when you saw Shibata come down to the ring to make the save, everybody was excited. The fans were losing their mind. He goes in the ring. He beats up on Ozzy Open. Well, because Will Ospreay sends Ozzy Open out to the ring outside of the ring to walk up to Shibata. Shibata beats him up there. He gets in the ring with Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay looks afraid of him, but Will Ospreay still charges at him. Shibata beats him up, hits him, hits him up, puts him in the corner, hits his hesitation drop kick, puts a sleeper on him, and then you see Ozzy Open have to like pull Will Ospreay out of the ring, and then you see Ozzy open, and Will Ospreay start walking up the ramp and looking at Shibata, so that tells me that Will Ospreay's next uh, program in New Japan is going to be going against Shibata, so it seems to me Shibata should be ready to be back in the ring, because if he made this, like, one-off, you should, like, 
capitalize on it. That's only if he wants to do it. But if not, I believe that's just a nice thing for New Japan and AEW to have that moment and Shibata to have that moment. Uh, after Shibata would be in the ring and Osprey and United Empire, not the United Empire, well, Ozzy Open would walk up the ramp. Orange Cassidy would get in the ring. Orange Cassidy and Shibata would look at each other. Orange Cassidy would put his sunglasses on Shibata, uh, put his arm on him and look into the hard camera, lift up his thumb, and that's about it. So, again, look up the match if you can for Orange Cassidy, Will Ospreay. Good matchup. And the good matches would not end just there because after this, it was time for Zack Sabre Jr.'s matchup to go against their mystery opponents. And boy, oh boy, was it everybody that we expected. It was who you thought. It was Claudio Castagnoli, formerly known as WWE Cesaro. Once Zack Sabre Jr. got in the ring and people were waiting, they didn't wait that long. Because as soon as the Switzerland uh, flag popped up on the Titantron, the whole people lost their mind. They knew exactly who it was. And it said... Claudio Castagnoli, people started to bust out in cheers and yay because Claudio has been out of wrestling for months since he's left his WWE contract, since he got done with it. And people were highly, highly uh, spectating and saying for months that, okay, Claudio should be in AEW. We don't know when, but he's going to be or whatever it was. There's reports that he was in talks with WWE for uh, returning back. I mean, there were talks for it, but, I mean, nothing ever came out of it, as you can obviously see now, because now he's in AEW. Uh, the first thing that Claudio does was, as he's walking and making his way down the ramp, he walks over to the cameraman that people thought was him. This was the cameraman that was covered hair, head to toe in black. He got a face mask on, black cap on, black long sleeve on, and he's looks kind of built. Cesaro literally has the camera guy turn around to look at the other camera and guy holding him. And now you see Cesaro and that guy standing right next to each other. And he kind of acknowledged what the fans were speculating for months. And that's just one of the reasons why people love Cesaro. Cesaro would uh, hear the fans and he'll kind of like play around with the fans, either on social media or even in the ring from time to time. And that's just one of the things that he did in this matchup. Uh, as soon as the bell rung, Cesaro immediately, and I mean immediately, ran over and uppercutted the soul out of uh, Zack Sabre Jr. And then he quickly gave him a neutralizer, and I mean a jumping neutralizer. He hit, kicked him in the gut, left him up, jumped with it, bong. And we thought, okay, that was it. That's going to be a quick matchup. Wow. Nope, Zack Sabre kicks out. So now we get a match match between Claudio and Zack Sabre Jr. You get the technical side. You get all this stuff that you know you're going to get out of Zack Sabre Jr. And also Claudio, too, because Claudio is a technical guy, too. But he's also a master of other crafts and strength and spring and uh, speed and the Lucha Libre style. If he wants to get high flying with you, he can do that, too. Uh, there was one point in this matchup where uh, Zack Sabre Jr. has a arm bar on Claudio and Claudio and him like literally get to the outside of the ring and Zack Sabre Jr. still has it locked in on him and Claudio has to lift him up by his arm 
and he looks like he could power bomb him on the outside of the ring, but no, what he does is he holds Zack Sabre still on his arm in the armbar position, holds him up, walks up the stairs with Zack Sabre still on his arm, and then he power bombs him inside the ring to let to get Zack Sabre off his arm. So Claudio was showcasing his strength for the people that haven't seen him in a long in these last months. He was a reminding you what he could do. Claudio would win the match when he hits the Ricola bomb on Zack Sabre Jr., or better known as the yeah, recall bomb or a cross arm power bomb on Zack Saber Jr. for the win. A good match between these two. Again, Claudio is here. He's part of the Blackpool Combat Club, and now you got to think how's that going to work with him going into blood and guts with Kingston? Because again, that's going to play a factor because Kingston and Claudio kind of have a rivalry from the early two thousands, and uh, it's going to be real interesting this upcoming Wednesday to see how these two work together. But again. Solid match between Zack Sabre and Claudio Castagnoli, and it's good for him to be in AEW, where wrestlers get to be wrestlers. You don't have to try to put on a shtick to be a funny guy, entertaining guy. You get to do that if you feel like it, but what is prioritized in AEW literally is the wrestling, and I think Claudio is going to do well in AEW. After this, we will have the Fatal 4-Way matchup for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Jay White, who brought along Gato with him in his corner, going against Kazusuke Okada, going against Hangman Adam Page, going against Adam Cole. Jay White would win the match when Okada would hit Adam Cole with the Rainmaker, then Jay White would run in and hit Okada with the Blade Runner, and he doesn't pin Okada. He pins Adam Cole, and that's how Jay White retains his IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Solid, fatal four-way matchup. You know what it was going to be like. You knew you were going to get a good match out of these four. Um, at the beginning of the matchup, it was Adam Cole and Jay White working together. Adam Cole was basically calling the shots. Jay White was kind of looking hesitant at Adam Cole, looking for when Adam was going to stab him in the back. And you knew it was coming. You just wondered when. It happened later once uh, they were in the ring. I believe they were in the ring with either Okada or Hangman. And they were... Adam Cole was, again, instructing Jay White on something to do something to lift up either, lift up one or the two, lift up either uh, Okada or Page. And as soon as Jay White walks over to lift up the guy, you see Cole go behind Jay White and hits him with a backstabber and then hits him with a brain buster to his knees. And that's whenever you see the formation literally disintegrate between the two. So then it became a legitimate fatal four-way matchup. Solid fatal four-way match between the guys. Jay White wins the match, so he still holds on to the championship. I mean, what more can you say about this? I mean, I'm happy that everybody was able to get their shine in this matchup. I knew Jay White wasn't going to lose the belt. If anything, they shouldn't have the match at Dominion. They should have had that match here in the fatal four-way matchup. You could have had Okada going against Jay White. Jay White lose at Dominion, and then he would have won the belt here. That's what I would have done. Because that would have brought in something for Jay White to hold over Okada. In the idea that Jay White, years ago, whenever uh, Jay White was the IWGP champion, he was had he had to defend the championship against Okada at Madison Square Garden in twenty nine, yeah, twenty nineteen, and he lost the championship to Okada. Okada could have been the Return the favor here. Okada could have been the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. 
come in this fatal four-way matchup. Jay White would have beat Okada here. That would have been a highlight moment for the fans here. And Jay White could have said, okay, now we're one and one. You beat me in Madison Square Garden. I beat you at Forbidden Door event. We're one and one in the States. And he still could do that now. But it just would have been a topping point for me that I would have done that in the booking sense for New Japan. But again, hey, whatever the case may be. Armchair quarterback in here. That's all I'm doing. Uh, Fatal 4 matchup, good match. After this, time for the main event. AEW Interim Championship. John Moxley going against room, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. John Moxley wins the match by pinfall when he locks in the Bulldog Choke on Tanahashi. And Tanahashi is uh, trying to hold out for as long as he can. He's on the mat with it. And he's trying to battle out of it. He ends up standing up. And John Moxley still has a choke in on him. He tries to fight out of it some more, but he ends up drifting in, like, drifting and being shut down. Moxley within, let go of the whole turn, Tanahashi around, hit him with a paradigm shift. Moxley pins Tanahashi, and now Moxley is your new AEW world champion, interim champion at the time, because remember, CM Punk is injured. So we're going to get a unification match from these two somewhere down the line when Punk is uh, ready to come back. A solid match between Moxley and Tanahashi. This puts, like, the bow on Moxley's three-year-long journey to get to Tanahashi, chasing that dragon in Moxley's own self-professed word. Uh, Moxley bleeds in this matchup. He bleeds a lot from a cut. Um, I believe it's from... Earlier in the match when Tanahashi does a Brian Danielson, like, stomps in Moxley's head, and Moxley would uh, roll out of the ring, and then you next thing you see, he's popped up with blood dripping off of his head. A solid match between the two. That's all I can say for that. I mean, after all the matches that came before it, once you got to this match, to me, I was like, okay, we're at the main event now. All right, let's, let's get to it. Uh, Moxley wins, and... You see Jericho and Daniel Garcia run down to the ring. And now they beat down on Tanahashi and um, Moxley. Kingston would run down to the ring to try to make the save. And now Kingston is now beating up on Jericho because that's his beef. And Daniel Garcia is now doing it. And now you get that. And now the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society members are coming down to the ring to help out Jericho and Daniel Garcia. They get in there. And as... Sammy Guevara uh, 2.0 and Jake Hager with Jericho Daniel Garcia beating up on Eddie Kingston, Tanahashi, and Moxley. Then you see Santana, Ortiz, and Willie Yu to come down to even it out. But he's still at this point, it's still to no avail. Kingston's guys are getting beat down. And then Claudio will come out. Claudio ends up making the save. He beats up on all the Jericho guys. He ends up hitting... Uh, one of the guys from 2.0 and gets him in the giant swing and spins him around about a good 10, 11 times. Let's go over him, and that's how it ends. Now we're building up to Dynamite's uh, Blood and Guts match, where, again, it's going to be Jericho Appreciation Society going against Kingston, Ortiz, Santana, Moxley, Wheeler Yuta, and now Claudio Castagnoli. And that's how Forbidden Door ends. 
Forbidden Door, good pay-per-view. If you can see it and get the playbacks of it, again, I would highly suggest it. Go to New Japan World and watch it if you have New Japan World because that it was streaming there on New Japan World. I'm not sure if it was streaming just in Japan or in America. You could try to look that up yourself. I don't know. But again, uh, the event was nice. It was good. I hope they do another crossover event later, probably like next year. Let like people, I'm not gonna say let people forget, but let people salivate more. Sure, from from now all the way to Wrestle Kingdom, because I believe Wrestle Kingdom is where you're gonna have the next big, uh, uh, God, the transportation of AEW wrestlers going over to Wrestle Kingdom if they can. God forbid another pandemic happens. Uh, I see that's what is gonna be the next thing. I see we're probably going to get the Brian Danielson going against uh, Zack Sabre Jr. over there at Wrestle Kingdom. You're going to have the FTR match over there at Wrestle Kingdom, and that's probably where they're going to lose the belts there. You're going to have your uh, CM Punk going against Tanahashi. If CM Punk is ready in that time frame to go against Tanahashi there at Wrestle Kingdom. I see a lot of kind of matches going over there at Wrestle Kingdom, like the big quality matches for the Japanese fans, because this was for the American fans. The American fans on American soil got to see Forbidden Door in their faces. And I believe the next big crossover event is going to literally be Wrestle Kingdom, where the AEW stars will have to travel over to Japan, and you get that. Um, but again, Forbidden Door, good show. Now we're building up to uh, Blood and Guts, which is this Wednesday. And remember, I will be talking about that on Wrestling Highlights of the Week uh, this upcoming Saturday. But I hope you guys enjoyed the review. And please be safe on this set on Monday morning. I remember tonight's Monday Night Raw. And again, I talk about that this upcoming week on Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And if you want to listen to what I said about last week's wrestling, it is available on Apple Podcasts and all the other various uh, sites I am on. And if you could, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, or wherever you listen to this podcast and also can you please give me some type of ratings because i had feedback because it would greatly appreciate it it helps out with the quote-unquote algorithms and allow people that don't know about this show it allows people to know about it and they actually get to hear about it and get to know about it so that would be great but with that have a great monday i hope you guys enjoy yourself you guys will be hearing from me again on wrestling highlights of the week saturday and if you want to listen to news topics I did just release an episode yesterday called Lawsuits. I talked about Roe v. Wade. I talked about the updates in the Uvalde shooting. I talked about various other things there. But again, that's that. If you want to hear from that, I talk about uh, news and current event stuff on that shows on Sundays. But with that, I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great Monday. I hope you guys have a great start of your week. Please be safe out there. And I love you. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.